0: episode 12 Calends of february is over but here on post-show we're just getting started my name is grace but of course i'm not alone i'm here with dm philly philly how you doing
1: i'm pretty good i want to chant a number again grace do i say 12
0: 12 12 i know that that was yesterday's
1: episode but i'm still yeah. hung up on the 13th
0: mm-hmm. big episode season finale of uh, season one of rome rich
1: Oh yeah, the Kalends of February. You like that little bit of tricky wordplay that they utilized to obfuscate what was going to happen here? This was a big episode, mm-hmm. Grace. The finale of season one.
0: Yeah, the Kalends of February. It's the Ides of March, isn't it? You know. Yeah, it is. But yeah. they played a little chicanery with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of figured that this was where we were going. I thought. A good episode uh you know th- this is the moment i think the probably the most famous caesar moment so i thought that overall uh it worked out well my big prediction that like hmm, Niobe's baby still on the board uh ultimately comes true as that comes uh to a head although with a twist that i did not see coming nope. um so yeah i'm excited to talk through the the episode make sure folks are subscribed postrecaps.com slash rome as we will be not stopping we have uh season two episode one on schedule for tomorrow um yeah rich uh w- w- you know do you want me to give you the quick plot recap i thought i would do this like really qu- the, the yeah. plot recap is uh yeah so uh they killed caesar at two at two grace uh, they, didn't even
1: say they it. killed caesar they didn't even that's recap. It. No, they didn't. I really like what they do here in terms of like playing with all the preconceptions and all the kind of lore around it and all the other mythology. Like, ultimately, they're not redoing Shakespeare, right? So, like, yeah. I kind of appreciate that they don't say it. I love that they name the episode the Colens of February. Like, it's all so right there, but they don't do it the same way. And I, I got to give them credit for that. Uh, I'm really excited to get your takes on all this. I've been, like, waiting to talk about this episode with you for the last couple of weeks
0: yeah i mean it's the i think that the ultimately um, i thought it was really interesting is going into the show i didn't know anything about uh, lucius Verenus and, and titus pulo and the way that you know it part of me was thinking as we get caesar being stabbed by the senators on the floor by brutus We're cutting that with Varenus learning about uh, the fact that his, you know, his grandson is not his son. In fact, it's his wife's baby that he had with another man while he was away at war. And the way that that is fully interspliced into Caesar, I thought was really interesting because um, that's not what I would have expected from this show uh, at the beginning, that intercut into Again, the most famous moment, perhaps in the history of Rome, um, Mm -hmm. gets interspliced with this very intimate story of a man who is mentioned, you know, in in Caesar's, you know, diaries, records. Um, But there's such a big focus on, I mean, seemingly because they'll be around him. and, And also, you know, I think the last moment of this episode is Pulo... And a Rene walking. It is a Rene, right? It's not Venus. I was like trying to make sure I had this right, but it is. No, yeah, it's a Rene. Yes. Yeah. Them walking off together into the sunset. You know, that's that's the end of the season. Um, in a way that you know, as we were starting to watch it, I was like, oh, Caesar's in this, but he's not super in it, right? You know. So I just thought it was an. Uh, that was my big takeaway: is that the death of Caesar is is interspliced with the the tales of these two soldiers that we've been following along.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been talking about it to you since the beginning, but I think part of what's so fun about Rome and why it's such a, like... Um, successful show even so far out from its inception is the way that we're dropping into like these everyday people's lives juxtaposed against the big politics right this is kind of like an element of the game of thrones of it all where you have this like incredible ensemble of characters and they're not all involved in like the high court intrigue right you have like your power players and your nobles and the political movers and shakers but you get in with these two rank and file soldiers and we get super invested in their lives and the way that you know we talk about about a lot of tv grace but yes the convergence of these plot lines the way that everything comes together the way that we've like tracked the information kind of moving uh from pulo and octavia to like octavian to servilia like into this moment to be able to capitalize on it in the 11th hour i think is really well done and um and it's kind of bold that they like don't shove it down our throats of like how everybody knows everything we just do it the once in each episode we move on and it's a great way to like handle a through line in a season of tv i think but um yeah it's a big surprise right that like caesar is to a degree like amongst the least important people this episode right he's very much more like a MacGuffin. like it's like the plot happening
0: to him you know Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean let's talk through it in terms of um you know, I don't know where who we want to start with. Maybe, maybe we'll leave sort of the Caesar stuff for last. But, um, we see Varenus, who is with Niobe, there they have this new piece of land that they've gotten. Um, he talks about how they might be exiled to it if, if Caesar is going to, uh, to, to make it so that, uh, you know, that he's upset about him saving Pula. We're seeing, um, this mural uh, on the wall, right. Uh, we're seeing a play at the beginning of the mm-hmm. recreation of, of the fight. And so these two men have become a bit of folklore, although Varennes seemingly more so, I feel like he gets, you know, he's the one who kills the final man in the, in the graffiti, in the mural on the wall. Um, Pulo's like on the ground while Varenus is like, you know, in the fighting in the, in the depiction. So just very interesting. And, and Varennes is the one who, you know, Caesar will, will bring him, uh, to to go see him, and he's gonna say like, yeah, I mean, I I should probably punish you, but I but I can't. You're too popular, and so actually, <laughs> I'm gonna make you a senator. Um, and this it's so interesting that this seems to be, the thing. I mean, it's it's this, and also Gauls and Celts, are mm-hmm. also gonna be made senators. Um, Caesar trying to expand, uh, uh, the Senate sort of his 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 power. I would love maybe for a bit like. I can clearly understand in the show that it's designed just to be sort of um, a thing that sort of, you know, a straw that breaks the camel's back uh, mm-hmm. in terms of a thing that really sets Cicero and Cassius and Brutus off in terms of like, how dare he invite these, you know, who call Varenus a pleb uh, uh, holding a seat in the Senate. i would be interesting to hear from some Roman historians about the, machinations of this why caesar doesn't exactly cause about them like these old some of the oldest uh, tribes around who will um perhaps appreciate the fact that they've been given power in the senate but this is sort of the thing the Varenus in becoming a member of senate seemingly the thing that upsets them the most
1: yeah, he agitates them, right? I mean, again, my lens of interpreting a lot of this is all going through Crusader Kings three, Grace, and mm-hmm. like a little bit of civilization. This notion of like you have these vassals in the Gauls and, and the Celts that he wants to bring in. He's, he's running the Octavian plan right of like you need uh, to create a bunch of new senators that are your creatures that are not like in the pockets of other people. And this is Caesar's maneuver. It's like, okay, we've conquered these people. They've served us. They're as These like vassal States of the Republic out in the distance. Let's like bring them into Rome. Let's drown them in like gold and wine and like put them in, in togas here in the Senate so that they can like be my tools, you know? Um, I really, I, I, I get where you're coming from. You know, I, I guess like, to the discussion we kind of had yesterday of like how much of the politics belongs in the show. You know, I think they do a good job articulating like it's enough of an agitation to set off the establishment and the status quo want nothing to do with this, right? The idea of like bringing in these low men, as it were, into like the Senate chambers is really off-putting, you know? But the whole reaction of like Veranis, first of all, I do love Veranis and Niobe going to the farm and having to like fertilize the land, so to speak, You know, and Pulo's whole like break from the hospital at the beginning. It's like delightful. Like the popularity of these two guys by the people is great. You get that play and you hear them uh, or it may even be like the guy who wakes Pulo up is explaining to him like, no, no, you and Lucius Berettis are like super famous now. You're a symbol of brotherly love. Right. Uh, They're very much like Philadelphia, Grace.
0: (laughs) There's a very funny line. It was very well written. He says, "I'm taking your likeness," and he's like, "What do you What are you taking from me?" Because he's the previous, <laughs> the previous episode, he gets robbed while he's sleeping, right? So they're yes. taking something from it. He's like, "I'm taking your likeness." He's like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> it's very good. It's very funny. Yeah. it's fantastic I know
1: there's a lot of like old mythology around don't draw my picture you'll steal my soul type right. of stuff right mm-hmm. um, it's really fascinating the notion that like I think it's because of the class distinction between these two guys again it's like a real bit of subtext across season one but Lucius Varenus is a man like Varenus is an important name uh, he's not like a nobleman he's not like that important in Rome but he also is like not uh, He he like has this kind of history in this family lineage where Pulo is like the son of a slave, right? And has like nothing and is no one. And so the distinction between the two of them, like Varenus has already been upjumped by Caesar, right? Not just the prefect in the Evocati. Even when Varannus wakes Pulo up and Pulo's like Lucius Verannus, sir. Is the first mm-hmm. thing he says to him. Like, despite mm-hmm. this bromance that we've fallen in love with, there is like a class distinction between these two guys, even mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And the like camaraderie between them being something that the Roman people seize on to is like an ability to like bridge the gap between the kind of like social castes is really an interesting little footnote to all of this. But I feel you, yeah, they could have they could have delved deeper into the politics. You would kind of expect it with the show called Rome my question for you Grace is like did you expect this is where we were going for the finale
0: of season one like yes Yes. okay I feel like I've been alluding to it that this is like season one is the rise and fall of of Caesar um this is partially just like I can't help myself but to be googling like Roman history and then you kind of get the idea that like yeah and I, you know Caesar a bit so um this is on hbo but in in canada our hbo is often packaged uh you know if you want the digital streaming service it's through crave so you get crave. i want to
1: make a grace joke but do they call your hbo hba in canada is that yeah HBA, yeah, yeah okay,
0: um sure. so uh, it's through crave is the streaming service we have and the it's funny because the and this is a thing that actually, you know, to talk about Dark for a second, a lot of people get really sending a lot of feedback, Rich. I got a lot of feedback that people hate that the image for Dark on Netflix is an end game image that people feel like is too spoilery. Yes, which I will say there is this like, you know, speaking of crossing the Rubicon, I was talking to my parents when I was home about how I was watching Yellowstone. And uh-huh. I also said this about like two months ago. I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to start watching Yellowstone. And at that point, my dad could have been like, Ah, oh, so and so, you know, I can't believe they killed their character. drop. And yep. I, that that goes over my head. I don't know who that is. I don't know if they're important. Like, I wouldn't remember a single thing. Now that I'm watching the show, I, yeah. I, I was like, my dad started being like, oh, you know, what's really great. I was like, ah, no, 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 no. You're going to you're going to accidentally me, right like now i know these things uh the crave image is uh mark antony and two people i don't believe we've met uh and so i feel like that signaled to me <laughs> that like yeah i don't think caesar like perhaps kieran hines is not fully in the like Okay, Mark Antony is the person that they're like highlighting yep. in this in this image. So I feel like we're going, you know, I figured at heading season into season two, two
1: promotional material that they're season, using for that thumbnail huh? that is yeah.
0: not very clearly does not have Caesar in it and it has, uh, you know, Mark Antony, some other people I don't know who I'm assuming we will meet. So I I did figure this is this is the trajectory of the show that season one is about Caesar becoming dictator and and then ultimately um, him dying. I I mean, if this was modern day, I mean, I I cover the crown here on Post Show Recaps as well. Mm -hmm. It's coming back. They're like fully extending how much they can get Princess Diana in their television show. You know, they're like, they're like, you know, she probably should have died last season. And they're like, no, no, we could we could no no, no, no subscribers.
1: It's funny, you know, on the heels of the conversation we had yesterday about the kind of state of television when this thing came out, it's it's an Uh 18 year old show. This exists at a time where there's no such thing as like, yes, let's like green light five seasons of this billion dollar rings of power production you know uh-huh. like this does not exist these folks are like making the show on like a wish and a prayer they get greenlit by hbo and, like you gotta leave it all out there i think that this is something that gets lost when we talk about like the golden age of television and like the state of like entertainment decline where we're at now that like the intention in creating television shows now it's really different than it was 15 years ago but there's an expectation that you like you're not just creating a television sale, Grace. You're creating like intellectual property that needs to have like return on investment. That ROI is like the end by the drone box set. So- yeah, right. Like there's no chance if they if like HBO Greenlights a series like this, they're gonna like let it go in two seasons if the numbers are like anything less than abysmal because mm-hmm. you build like your marquee on this thing. You you wanna like keep it going. You need to keep the characters alive. So I found something so refreshing about like, no, no, this is a season of television that like leaves it all on the field, right? Like they're going for it. They're gonna swing for the fences. The all
0: on the field. Yeah, they yeah.
1: sure. Much to the uh, pleasure of that Latin-speaking priest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a different animal, you know. But it really struck me going back to it, like, oh yeah, they I, would do this now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I toyed with the idea too of how much to like allude to this. I feel like I did enough without being like basic. I think mean, I think last episode I was like, yeah, I think Caesar's going to die soon. But I do feel like the story is pretty well written. And then this idea last episode you are talking about about how the BBC version like condensed these first three episodes as opposed to the American version, but. I feel like you have to know that's you I mean it's the most famous thing about Julius Caesar, I think, is it kind of have. is and yeah. so I feel like you can also feel it. I've talked a lot about you know the depiction of a dictator in the show and how I think it might be different. It was made today. But nevertheless, this is a season of television that is like Caesar's get Caesar might be he, he so early on, it's like, okay, yeah, this is how he gets one over. And unfortunately, I feel like sometimes that's at the expense of like Pompey Magnus, and I joked about his bad edit. Like, he seems like such a fool, and Caesar keeps getting one up on him. And then later, as we're going, though, it feels like as he's back in Rome, that he is making choices that. Feel strategically like they make sense. I mean, he does it, he becomes emperor for life. And also at the same time, I think the show does a really good job of showing us the way that he might have hubris. He literally says, uh, it's only uh it's only hubris if I get killed. Yeah, that, right. Something like Mark
1: that. Mark Antony calls him out. It's only hubris if I fail. Yeah. If I fail. Yeah.
0: And and then also at the same time, all this like the the, the swelling of discontent below the surface. I, I feel like the show. I, I don't know. There's this study, Rich, that was done, and I talked a lot about this. Uh, I can't remember which show. It Doesn't matter. Uh, maybe it was The Last of Us. But about there's a there have been studies that have shown where. Um, People will watch the same movie but the the information they get from the people running the study in one they'll basically spoil the movie they're like this is the movie about somebody who has a blossom mm-hmm. they're like whatever and they spoil it and the other one they're like okay enjoy the movie and then they rate their enjoyment of the movie and people actually seem to enjoy the movie more when they are spoiled and i know that like yes it's all anecdotal some people hate being spoiled and and whatever but i feel like you're rewatching it, but I'm watching it for the first time, but I do kind of know the story. And I felt like there was a way in which that actually enhanced my viewing of season one of Rome, knowing that this is a historical event that I presumed we were leading up to in season one. Mm-hmm. And I then I feel like the way they counteract that, right? Like I feel like we do know in this episode, like Julius Caesar is going to die. He's going to get stabbed mm-hmm. when he goes to the Senate. And also at the same time, they pair that with the story that we don't know. And there's this yep. incredibly huge twist. I feel like that Niobe kills herself when it's revealed she said don't blame your you know don't blame the boy and then she kills herself that's a, that's you know tragic and it's something you couldn't have seen no i mean you could have guessed it maybe but i i really didn't the way that they are like so in love over the course of the season i really didn't see it coming so that was a really interesting choice for rome to i thought again just to talk about like did i see this coming like yes I also think that that's okay. And I kind of got both worlds. I kind of watched a show yep. that I was spoiled on, and that I wasn't spoiled on, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to talk about here, but I think part of what I love about, especially this first season of Rome, is the exploration of contradiction, right? Uh, it's a thing we talked about yesterday in terms of Caesar. Like, Caesar is trying to, st- to steal power. He's trying—he is a tyrant. He keeps, like, despite what he says, this is what he's doing. He wants absolute authority. But in his effort to, like, seize authority, he's enacting a bunch of, like, progressive ideals. He's empowering the proletariats. He's, like, doing things things that we approve of which creates this really fascinating like irony there and in the same way with like the exploration of Varanis and Niobe's relationship right like we're kind of on the side of Varenus and then like we see the dynamic as he comes home and that feels bad but he clearly does love this woman and wants to be a better husband than he is and he does and we watch them fall in love and we love that and they do so much good stuff here of like the Hitchcock like ticking bomb under the table like you've been tracking it all season we know this information out there there is like this sort of damocles hanging over verennis's head that we know is going to fall and then we see it fall but we like have so many questions about how it's going to play out and they're able to like invert it on us where it is like tragic and heartbreaking for verennis like he storms the into the house and you know, it's the scene a where he's like, in
0: the hall rich it like when he's wa- not though he's walking down the streets and the tears in his eyes
1: yeah like,
0: Yeah gosh that's some good stuff Right there it's
1: devastating right Like we were hyping him up yesterday The actor but he comes home and you feel So much for him and then he rages Into the house and you're like oh Lucius Veranis like don't Lose me here don't do something that Like I'm never going to be able to forgive You for we love Niobe Like you guys were so happy Get over it dude right And Mm -hmm. then she in the end like Makes this choice that destroys him even More and it's so horrifically tragic tragic for both of them right like you can feel terrible that he put her in this position that like she lives in a world where this kind of shame that she thinks that this is the correct course of action that he's willing to like put so much shame on her to drive her to jump right but then you also have to feel terrible for him that he like is so like broken by the end of this because there's part of you that like is convinced that maybe he could have forgiven her like maybe if they like if she does not make that choice in the moment there's like a path back to repair this damage, right? And it's just crushing in that way. And so I love it.
2: It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. Introducing Osea's bestseller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae body oil and body butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat yourself to glowing, healthy skin this summer with clean, vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, you can get the best seller's body care set valued at $78 for 33% off. Use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER.
1: And then to the notion of the spoilers of it all, just like to to dive into it for a second of like, as the guy who talks about a lot of adaptations over here at Posture Recaps, this is a really satisfying experience of the like Leo pointing GIF, watching Mm -hmm. the episode, like knowing what's going to happen. It's part of like the joy that like, and can be very frustrating of like watching something with somebody who's seen it a million times and they're explaining to you like, oh, did you notice that she just said this? And that's going to be important because, because like they want you to have that same feeling of satisfaction right of being able uh-huh. to like oh the puzzle pieces fit in place it's like uh-huh. one of these like weird i don't know tiktok probably or like youtube channels of like things that f- like are satisfyingly fun to watch fit into one another right of like a cat laying perfectly to sink there's just something about like when the things line up and you watch it all come together that is satisfying it's part of like the way the human brain works i'm sure that dr woodward would have something to say about that you know so i do think like you point out what is a really strong writing trajectory across the season here that they're able to like be insightful enough to weave in the story of incredible tension and uncertainty in the Lucius Verena's Niobe arc amidst this absolutely foregone conclusion of like, and then Brutus is going to stab Caesar. Right. Uh, and, yes. and and I joked about it to begin with, but like the subversion of expectations of like the cleanse of February the, like you're waiting for him to say at two, but he just doesn't do
0: it, he just dies. He just right? dies. Yeah. I yes, I before we get to the, the stabbing scene. I do I do the other thing I think that is really fun is the way in which they're gonna play with real historical events and how you depict it, and then you've put in these people who uh like has been pointed out, Lucius Verenis is a real person, he is mentioned by Julius Caesar, but like his entire life is fictionalized. And so I really also love so basically Varenus finds out about this because Servilia. So ha, no, who tells how does Yeah, so out? so
1: Caesar like is like, okay, we're gonna get rid of all my guards, and Pasca's giving him hell, and he's like, No, no, it doesn't matter because I have Varenna at my side, right? Right. And then like Cicero and all those guys go back to Servilia's house and are bitching, and and they mention, oh, he's got Lucius Varenus at his side. And she's like, Why do I know that name? wait what oh yeah and then, because like,
0: octavia oh, had yeah or yeah who, because octavian had told octavia who seemingly tells servilia so when they go and whisper in his ear like hey and the way that he then like he's like well f this i'm gonna leave and the way that yeah. they're walking in like hey where's varenna's like oh he's just with us but i'm sure he just stepped aside and then that scene happens it's really that's uh, to me i really like that this is very like um uh do you watch once upon a time in hollywood this is a quentin tarantino oh yeah movie for sure where yes. that's oh, that's like It's that one is like real events that get completely fictionalized, but I feel like it's the same way as in which like they play with, you know, real events and then how fictional people like end up. I'm sure there's a better example that people could think of, but I just did really enjoy the like, you know, so he's got like he's so comedy He's like, well, who's going to touch me if I have Brandis by my side? he's so popular and you know, and they're talking about like, he can't be killed. So they figure out how to get him out of the equation, but it's also fun from the idea of like, well, we don't think that Lucius Varanis was in the Senate. Like he could have been there and it wouldn't have met. Like you, they could have written it that way, but it's kind of fun to be like, yeah, you know, there's no record of Lucius Varanis being in Senate when right. this can happen. So like, so, like let's, this
1: work? let's yeah.
0: write him that he like heads home. And then that also, you can then also tie that into like, the explanation that like Caesar has no defense, like everybody in the Senate is, is attacking him. It's pretty fun it's great i mean
1: i just think it's such like a brilliant convergence right because they just like they get him in one foul swoop here right like the, the whole situation with Niobe and his children this is just collateral damage this was not the intention to like f up lucius verenus's family the intention is to like get him rattled enough and on his heels and distracted enough they don't know that he's not going to like walk into the senate with caesar they're just trying to like get in his head so that they're able to like seize the moment like very likely they expect that they're gonna have to kill lucius renas also and that like they'll just the only way that they could get like a leg up on this guy uh a prefect of the evocati i don't know if you heard grace is is to like rattle his cage this way but by him leaving He leaves Caesar vulnerable. And so it's this great also like hanging weight of like the double whammy here. Lucius has literally just lost everything, right? (laughs) Like with Naomi jumping, the whole like scenarios that plays out at the end, he like lost Caesar. He's presumably like not going to get that Senate seat, Grace. You (laughs) know, like there's definitely like incredible fallout for this man right here. And given everything that we know about him, like it's not something he's going to take lightly right um like his absence at caesar's side is going to have like implications that reverberate out of here so i'm interested to like talk about that later this week as we keep going forward but again i just think it's like such well arced like trajectory for these characters and to like converge your plot all back in on itself here at the end you know
0: right um Let's talk about the Caesar scene. We have a few other things we'll get to, but but we're kind of here anyway, which is, uh, yeah, I thought the, again, such a famous moment. I thought it was really, uh, it, you know, it's, it's well done, I think, this idea of like, you know, and then Brutus being so hesitant to pick up a knife until Cassius tells him he has to go do it. he kind of delivers like the final blow. I thought that the depiction of Caesar on the ground again, I I really do. One of my big pet peeves is the person dying out who delivers their final words. And it's like, you know, so I was waiting for a two Brute, but, uh, and, and whether they would translate it, because these are all British actors. I was waiting yeah. for for you know it not to be in Latin, but um, it never comes. And I actually really, I like that choice a lot. And then I think it's like him lying on the ground, his hand is twitching. I, I don't know if this is an intentional choice, but basically I'm wondering if like the fact that he had epilepsy, it really hasn't come up since the episode nope. where he has a seizure, but whether or not like, and I've never thought about this, it's pretty horrific to think about, but whether if somebody was done di- with that like elicit a series that like his body reacted just the way he's like twitching. And then also he like pulls that, like seemingly I, my read of this, I don't know. It's such an interesting choice. And in whether Kieran Hines did it or, or this is a director choice or the, the writer, but him trying to basically cover, cover his face or mm-hmm. what he's trying to do. That's my read. So the director here uh is Alan Taylor. The writer is Bruno Heller, who wrote uh almost every episode of season, season one, a bunch of them, about half. Um, Yeah, I feel like it's covering his face. But I'm interested yep. in your read of that
1: I think it's the same thing right I, there, there's a point earlier like when Varenus, after Varenus lets Pompey go and he comes back to Caesar and he's talking to him and he's like he's a broken man there was water coming from his eyes is right. like one of the things he says right and, and this notion of like honor and shame it's also important you know right. uh, I very much think he's trying to cover his face I think he's trying to like cover the weakness he's trying to like hide the mortality in the moment he's trying to like hide the grimaces of fear, right? He is this like larger than life figure and he knows that he's dying and that he's dying with like no dignity as he lays on the floor, uh, you know, potentially like having a seizure, but going through all the other things that like a body does as it dies, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a lot of like involuntary, undignified responses in Mm -hmm. like, especially in response to the violence. Uh, I thought the death scene is also excellent. You know, this is a thing that like you get in so many films because film has to be dramatic, right? And like when you watch in war movies or anything like this, and these guys are getting shot and they're breathing in the agony and the please, let me give you my last wishes. Like do this, do that here, take the picture, whatever it is, you know? But the reality is like, You know, you talk to like veterans, you talk to people who've seen violent deaths and they're like, nope, like a lot, you know, somebody gets hit with a bullet, they go down like a sack of potatoes. Right. That's Mm -hmm. it. They're done. Like there's none of this that goes on. So they extend it. And what I love, I guess, is the other element, the way that we've built up how in real time in Rome, these events that are just rumors of like Caesar and Servilia become like mythologized Mm -hmm. in the time like Mm -hmm. through the graffiti on the walls through like the retelling and the exaggeration and like the explosion of stories. I mean, it's just like media today, except it's not like clickbait articles. It's just like crude graffiti on the walls. Right. But like the sensationalism of these little tidbits of truths. And so the way that like the guy holds up to these many stabbings, the way that Brutus is like the last one to go to him. I really love when they first come for him, Caesar, the soldier, he like got here through through warfare, right? He's like ostensibly a little bit more equipped for like violence than a lot of these senators who have spent their lives on these like marble benches, like voting yes or no, right? The greatest like battles they've ever been in is trying to like hear what that old man said from up on the pulpit. Right. But Caesar like grabs the knife of the first guy who comes at him. Right. And his hands are slipped apart and they have to stab him like many, many times. Right. And like the haunting weight of of like, you know, the whole thing of like et tu Brute is that Brutus is his friend. And we've watched this kind of frenemies relationship between the two of them. Like. Titus Pulo and Lucius Verandes, these two are not, right? Mm -hmm. Like from the beginning, we see like Caesar using Brutus as a cat's paw. He's got a kind of excommunicated. Brutus ends up with Pompey. He's like switch sides back, whatever. But the idea like the whole conversation we talked about yesterday, I saw you as a father and Brutus being like, yeah, I do see you as my father. And still you're doing this to me. Still like that final moment of like him, like wanting to speak, not getting words out like that's some haunting stuff mm-hmm. grace that's gonna weigh on this guy and i think it emotionally resonates on the mythology that i know of like et tu, brute i think that they do a really great job like mad props to, to kieran hines and tobias menzies here for like nailing the scene as well as they do but i just thought it all really is done excellently as, as we close it out
0: totally agree yeah I uh, couldn't agree more Let's talk about one thing you're talking about the mythology. What I One thing I love about this, the Pula stuff of this episode is he starts in the hospital and he gets woken up and he learns that this mural is happening. He's going <laughs> to steal the horse and and ride and, and pass out near Varanis's house. And he's eventually going to be taken in and, and him and, and Varennis will sort of laugh as, as Pula realizes like we're famous. I also love this with the idea. I, I actually, in one way, it felt um, not sad, but it's like, Yeah, they are famous and also they are barely actually known to history. Do you know what I mean? Like they their the account of their life is actually pretty much completely fictionalized in this TV show. And so this idea that you could it made me think about how fame is not that important. There are very few people through the history of the world who get remembered in history. Right, The Julius um,
1: Caesars are few and far between. Right. Like we sit here and struggle with like, who is that? Cato, Scipio, yeah. Cicero, yeah. Pompey. Like, and the joke
0: but- of like how often you think about the Roman Empire. Like, you know, Julius Caesar might be getting thought about every, but is like Pompey Magnus? I don't think so. So the idea that like Varennes and Pulo, they get a play. You know, that a play is made at in their in their name. Like, is a reenactment of the fight. That there's this uh there's this mural on the wall that gets painted of the two of them. And again, I love the idea that Pulo is is not the most formidable in in the especially in the mural he's like lying on the ground as he was just like, i know hey, right and he's Nobody still like cares
1: what have you done for me lately grace he killed those 15 yeah. guys it only matters who killed the last one right that's right
0: but he's so proud right that he's like you know and he's like this is um you know this is you know we'll be able to get women and we're famous and i just like thought about it from you know the modern sense of 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 fame in terms of yeah two thousand years later like we don't really know who these guys are only that rome has chosen to depict taken their names and chosen to depict them what i hear you
1: saying is they're internet famous (laughs) famous. i do think it's so fascinating because again like i've been really indexing on this through line of like how much of this endures like to the meme of it all we think about rome every day like so much of this culture of the methodology of the practices of the Roman empire have been distilled down like through europe to north america they're part of like all of these major worldwide like western cultures certainly uh espouse these values to like some high degree and the way that it looks like the same game as ever right so many people like myself included as i said here like talking to you through your digital device in your pocket um you want to leave your mark, right? You want to say something that like somebody remembers you want to make an impact. Like I'm not going to have kids, Grace. Like I make this proclamation boldly, Mm -hmm. but like my line will not carry on through my ancestors or, or through my forebears or whatever. I'm using both those words wrong. I know, but nonetheless, like there's some part of me that like feels better, that should I walk out my door tomorrow and get run over by a bus? Like some bit of me shall endure the digital space that is the internet you know years from now somebody may come be coming back listening to our Rome podcast if the grid is like still up and active no I think but in 2000
0: like- years there'll be a record that like Grace and Philly did this there'll be no record a historical record of the podcast so it'll just be like then people recreating like what they thought our podcast <laughs> sounded like <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. in the story of like the turning of Josh
0: Wiggler at yeah. two Mahadeo yeah. is yeah. that what it's going to be at, yeah.
1: the end? at two Kevin
0: mm-hmm. yeah Mm-hmm. They were like, they mostly, I think, just talked about Dungeons and Dragons, I think. <laughs> That's weird. The Dungeons and Dragons was a huge cultural yeah. moment at
1: the turn yeah. of the millennia. I yeah. just think it's so interesting because like 2,000 years, same problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like fame yeah. is fleeting. It's temporary. Yeah. You could be at the top of the pile today and then like you're totally forgotten tomorrow. Walk yeah. around your house right now, anybody. I defy you. Look at any one of the like incredibly sophisticated pieces of technology that you have access to and then say, who invented that? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like fame
0: is cheap and disposable. Light bulb is was Edison. I don't even think it was Edison. I think actually he's. I don't that. think it is. either. Yeah, it's yeah, not from Nikola Tesla, yeah. did he? <laughs> uh, my te- my telephone is from Alexander Graham Bell. Also, I believe he stole that from somebody else, but that's fine. Uh, um, that's a good one. What about the microphone? It's an Italian guy. I used to remember his name, but uh, microphone. Yeah. yeah, it's it's microphone, yeah. eh? Microphone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am torn on the Pulo ending. I like that Pulo gets an happy ending. I'm not sure that Irene should have gone with him. This is a man who killed her lover so i feel yeah. a, little, a little like i'm like yeah but he's like going he's like i'm gonna beg for forgiveness um i have the name of who he's gonna go beg to but alas the as goddess. Nurse, yeah
1: uh he yeah wants
0: to go to one of the temples i like that it's
1: like a vehicle for him to be like Because what he's saying to her is like, do you think she can forgive me of all the terrible things I've done in my life? Do you think that the gods will forgive me? And Rene, like, who knows what the gods will do? You know, I think that, like, look, in the context of like a slave owner, uh, Pula was like really shown a lot of like kind generosity to this woman. Mm -hmm. And despite like the uh, again, like I'm making all these excuses. You have to couch it this way, despite the fact that he like killed her uh, heart husband there. Yeah. Um, he had, like, good intentions. She is free. She's a free woman now. She doesn't mm-hmm. need to be in Lucius Veranis' house. Like, she could go pursue a life somewhere else, right? She's here because, like, this has become her family in a way. Niobe's, like, giving her a place to live, a place to work, like, an opportunity to, like, find her footing, you know? So I do think that, the, like, you know, it's a little, like, colored, certainly, by, like, what's occurred. But I do, I do think, like, Pulo's interaction with the Rene is, like, not, just like unambiguously bad or
0: good it's really complex i would agree i would i I feel like for me i do feel like it's it it is i like that pulo gets like this like happy he's the last you know thing we see in the episode i feel like for me this is a critique of the writing of a Rene. of like that's my that's you know i can feel the like you know you know it's not that long ago it also is 18 years ago as you said um yeah he's going to pray to the goddess of racina who's the goddess of the fields um so yeah you know uh
1: from oh, lucius and niobe prayed to that same goddess earlier in the episode you know, yeah.
0: ringing the bell like please stop pretending to sleep together on the field but, <laughs> um yeah so they're gonna they're gonna head out they head out holding hands after they do find he prays to the sacred racina um Anybody? We get a little bit. I the Servilia inviting Atia over to basically be like, "Hey, just so you know, like Caesar's dying right now." Oh <laughs> pretty, my God! Yeah, I
1: know that. Uh, I've been like pretty high on at Atia all season, and we both pretty unambiguously agree that like Atia is horrible. Like probably the most unambiguously like evil person on the show. She's yep. just pretty malicious all the time. She's selfish. She's narcissistic. She's very self indulgent and a horrible mother. Uh, but yep. she's very fun to watch on TV. But Servilia, like you this moment of like oh i just invited you over for lemon water and also to like have the satisfaction of like watching you while i salt your wounds yeah. like run run to greece run and hide run to your new miserable life i will chase you it's so menacing grace it's so menacing
0: yeah one of the things i think is really interesting is just if we're like sitting in here as you know this is about the rome rome and we we've talked about that. People said, like, oh, like Caesar wasn't the emperor of Rome. It actually, like, you know, it's not not really because it doesn't really become an empire until actually after Caesar's um death. And this is where I believe we're going in season two. And so I know I know who Octavian uh becomes. And so seeing Servilia, who I actually will segue into our Colosseum or our Arena battle, because I think I'll give it to Servilia. Um, I'm trying not to be resultant oriented in terms of knowing. What comes next, which is basically Caesar sets up a power dynamic that will allow for Rome to become an empire, right? So mm-hmm. this yep. idea that they're going to kill Caesar to save the republic is wrong, and yet I still will give Servilia uh who I'm going to enter in because I feel like she has she doesn't have to do any of the kids like she you know Brutus is the one who goes and does it and, and he does it, but I feel like. I don't know. I don't necessarily want to give him the, you know, I'm not going to enter him no. I feel like Servilia organizing this whole thing to get her, you know, done and to basically get like a season's long culmination of revenge on, on Attia and Caesar. Um, we talked about that scene. You, you highlighted it earlier in the season, right? Where she curses both of their houses certainly feels not good for them. So I'm going to enter Servilia into the arena, into the Colosseum. What about Grace, you? Uh, yeah.
1: I think that we've come to a head here. It's episode uh-huh. 12. It's the end of season one. Uh huh. I, I have nobody that I want to enter into the Coliseum other than Servilia. So okay. I, think that I just have to also put Servilia in there and she could just like win okay. unambiguously. I know it's very results oriented, but again, like, you know, part of what I talked about early on in the episode one coverage, like, a huge part of like telling the show, it, this is not Game of Thrones, right? Like, mm-hmm. you don't get to have a Daenerys Targaryen here with like her dragons that gets to be like an empowering woman who wants to operate outside the system to a degree. Mm-hmm. Like, these women are trapped by the system that they're in. They are women who are trapped by history. Uh, by, like, a history that has repeated itself for thousands of years on end and, like, still perpetuates these kind of, like, indoctrinating systems that, like, are often really disenfranchising for half the species, right? And ultimately, like, you know, you talk about poor writing for Renee and the kind of closure here of the episode. Yeah. Like, like I think that, like, we can take the very simple Bechtel test and be like, that's a big fail right there, right? Where for Servilia, like, I think it's probably also a fail, but also she goes through incredible suffering emotionally, physically, socially across the entire season. But Mm -hmm. she gets her comeuppance here in the end. And and it really is like her machinations. It's her dysfunctional parenting that's going to leverage Brutus into the moment. It's her like willingness to use her house to host these conspirators for like half the season now, right? That Mm -hmm. she's got like Pompey's kids sleeping on the couch in the back room just like, we're going to get you off the bottle and ready to go do a revenge plot, you know? And ultimately, like you know uh, by the story we're being told on the hbo series rome in season 1 she wins she yeah. wins the day her plan comes to fruition all the pieces fall into place it is her maneuver it is her information gathering that allows like her her woman to go whisper in lucius veronius's ear in the 11th hour and leave caesar unexposed and and it's pretty impressive you know uh it really is i think like she deserves
0: it go lindsay duncan Okay. Um that leaves us in an interesting place. Here's the records for folks as we end the season one of of Rome. Caesar every time he got put into the the arena he won. He's 3 and 0. Uh so uh and he is dead now, so I should
1: have put him in today, just. I know. For the loss. Just I'm for the loss. Sorry, I'm a bad podcaster, guys.
0: That's okay. Pulo went 3 and 1, so he won more times. He only lost once. He lost to 13
1: 3 and 1 you said. 13 yeah, that's right.
0: 13 that's right? Uh, Varennes went three and two, so he got it. Looks like he got put in the most, which means he like often was uh, which I, I think tracks on the season.
1: I like so, that three and two. He got a promotion
0: above Pulo, yeah. Yeah, Servilia goes two and one. Octavian uh wins the only time he gets put in. Uh, Atia goes 0 oh and two. Mark Antony goes 0 oh and two. Pompey, Cleopatra, right. and Irene all go 0 oh and one. So, yeah, they get in, but they lose.
1: I feel bad for Cleopatra. Attia and Mark Anthony going 0-2 is good. We didn't talk about Mark Anthony at all. I love the mark anthony bit uh, i may be like jumping ahead but like can i favorite scene? i think favorite scene is like i wanted to say pulo stealing the horse but i'm remembering mark uh-huh. anthony mean mugging brutus at the end there like him looking at all of them with caesar's body on the floor is like Pretty absolutely good. fantastic it's a great way to like have him walk off stage left like leaving this ominous thread of mark anthony coming in season two
0: it's pretty good. I'm I'm gonna highlight again. I like to go a little bit sillier. I think the like uh, I'm taking your likeness. Like, what are you taking for me? It's so funny. That's too good for me not to vote for that one. All right, that's the end of season one, Rich. That is the end of season one.
1: Uh, Mad love to the newsreader who I thought had like an excellent little performance. I really
0: noticed his hands this time. I really did start to notice.
1: He's getting wild with his hands. He does these crazy hand maneuvers like he's directing ships on an aircraft carrier. It's
0: It's like wild, man. I love it all right we'll be back tomorrow with season two episode one we're just going to keep going because there's 22 weekdays in october and there are 22 episodes of rome so we have to keep going uh passover is the season two premiere episode Um, Rich, where can people find you uh across the rubicon i'm at dm philly out there on the internet and in all the places you might want to look for me my dms are open on twitter you can find me at hi from grace uh all right we'll be back tomorrow as we talk about rome every single day